there's been no news, except for the one travesty that is the 2024 calendar, which I feel like we all have feelings about. Everyone should have feelings about. The calendar sucks. It's an abomination. (laughs) I was was trying to get to that slowly, but okay. Welcome to the Gravel Trap Indie Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the schedule for better or worse that was dropped on Monday. I know there's a lot of different feelings about that one. And of course, later on, we're going to get into a little bit about what led us to this point and who actually owns the series. There are a lot of feelings in this episode, so grab a Kleenex if you feel so inclined. Strap in and uh, let's get into it. <laughs> this is slowly. This is slowly. We rock. can elaborate. We can elaborate. <laughs> no, I mean, there was there was good momentum. There's good good momentum going into the next season, and it's just completely blown to to bits. Uh, with you know, with his schedule, and it's 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 not the schedule itself, I guess, from a racing standpoint. Yes, we're getting Milwaukee back. It's cool. It's a doubleheader, but I don't think that the the Milwaukee weekend, for example, could have been scheduled at a at a poorer time with a poorer broadcast setup. I don't think that you could have had a worse start to the season after a tremendous you know conclusion to twenty twenty three. And what is supposed to be an introduction of a brand new internal combustion engine with a kinetic energy recovery system, a hybrid system for the first time ever in IndyCar on top of it, more horsepower than these cars have have ever had going back to the kart days. We have all this momentum in the sport and we're going to end up with a five week gap between races to kick off the season. Yes, there's the thermal club, but it's non-points paying. It's a, you know, an all-star million-dollar challenge is is really what they're calling it. It's on NBC, which is great, but it's a sideshow. It's not part of the championship. So whatever happens at St. Pete on March 10th, we're not going to have any storyline follow-up in terms of the championship and races that matter until the middle of it. Oh, my gosh. So that's That's just... so long. I mm-hmm. full disclosure, I just looked at which races were available. I didn't look too deeply at the actual timing of it, but holy Toledo, that is five weeks. That's so ridiculously yeah. long. That's stupid. Like so I see I see why they threw thermal in there. What? But even if you just take thermal all the way through to Long Beach, it's still three weeks. So Well, yeah. It's that's as long as the summer break. That's as long as if you delete, like, cancel a race in other in other schedules. Oh, my word. That's like... And then geez. later in the schedule, they have the Olympic break because they don't want to do any races during the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And IndyCar usually has somewhat of a de facto summer break, whether it's, you know, two or three weeks usually toward the end of the summer where, where IndyCar races, it's just too miserable to go and try to race at the end of July through kind of the middle of August. Um, and it just kind of naturally works out that way as well. So, mm-hmm. but they also still have that there, there are no races, um, I think between July 21st and, uh, mm-hmm. like August 14th 17th. or whatever it is. Yeah. 17th. Between there Toronto yeah, and so. worldwide. Yeah. Right. And then oh, going into that summer break, that de facto Olympic summer break, whatever you want to call it, 
the last race going into that is hidden on Peacock on July 21st. So you've got, you know, whatever momentum you would have had, you're putting behind a paywall. And the race that comes back immediately after the Peacock race isn't on network TV to, to catch your, your casual viewer again. It's on USA Network, which is on cable and which isn't going to be on TVs, you know, randomly at bars or airports or what have you. It's not going to be something that's accessible over the air either in homes that don't have cable. So, and yes, with the IndyCar audience, those still exist. So it's, it's just a major letdown looking at it, you know, from, from that standpoint. Jeez. And I mean, I'm in Canada, so I don't necessarily get that same thing. I just have to deal with TSN and it's all on the same network. But the idea of having to go to multiple sources, multiple places to find what I need, it's infuriating. That's what I have to do for Formula E. And it makes me so mad because at one point you'd log on to YouTube at other sessions, you'd log on to TSN or wherever it is you're watching. But like people are inherently lazy when it comes to stuff like this like diehard fans yes will make it work but casual fans you have to make it as easy as possible for them to watch it nobody likes wrestling with their television nobody likes arguing with technology you literally just want to be able to turn on the one thing one and done that is literally all you want it's a little wild that they haven't consolidated onto one network yet and this this started you know, the iteration of this schedule and what we unfortunately ended up with started with losing the race at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, the only other, mm-hmm. you know, kind of large format oval that was on the calendar. We we covered that last week, why that's important. Um, but it was confirmed with, with the release of this Monday that we are losing Texas and Texas would have filled that gap early in the season. So now it's not. Okay, but what it also does is with this schedule, it's not just from a racing standpoint of, in my opinion, the schedule actually getting worse. It's more so from a television standpoint. We're losing two races. Last year, we, there were 13 races on NBC, on network television. This year, there's only going to be 11. Perfect example of that is the streets of Long Beach. So last year, Long Beach, that race did 1.027 million viewers, which is a tremendous number. Anything over a million viewers um, for IndyCar, even though it's on network TV, is a tremendous number. So the Grand Prix of Long Beach is going to be on USA Network uh, next next year in 2024. And races on USA Network average between 300 and 400,000 fans. So oh, you're losing three quarters of your audience by taking a race off of network television and putting it on USA, or you're going to lose even more than that if you put it on Peacock. So the Peacock races were rumored and they don't release hard numbers for those, but they were rumored to just be abysmal. And I would have to imagine you're talking maybe pure speculation, maybe in the neighborhood of, you know, 60 to 80,000 people may have tuned in for those because if you're getting 300,000 or so for a race that is on television, that somebody can easily flip to or record and watch later, something that's behind an additional paywall is going to be significantly less than that. It just, it kind of boggles my mind a little bit that they didn't even or maybe they did, but why wouldn't they try to add in something else in that early start of the season? There are so many tracks around the States. There are so many options that they could have pursued. 
it just feels really unfortunate that there wasn't something else. Yes, they squeezed in the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge, but I that, that's not yeah, enough. That, that seemed to be like like a scramble, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think that they understood that they were going to lose Texas. And even if they didn't lose Texas this year, they were going to lose Texas. The writing was on the wall. So this is where I think that the schedule is a failure on IndyCar's part as well. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's not IndyCar's fault. They got muscled out of Texas by NASCAR or the track organizers didn't feel like it was worth it investing in an IndyCar race anymore. So it was coming. But either way, IndyCar should have recognized that and had tracks lined up and at the ready, ready to fill these slots in the calendar. There's nothing that says Mm -hmm. you have to have a 17 race calendar. You can go, I mean, IndyCar is its own governing body. They can get into however many races they want to. So, you know, in theory, um, so I don't understand why there weren't more preventative measures on the table to say, okay, let's look at some other, you know, Kentucky would have been a spot to go. Um, even Chicagoland may have been a spot to go. There's there's ovals, bigger ones out there that, that could have easily filled that Texas gap. Or you could look at the other end of the calendar and you say, okay, maybe we don't have to end right in the middle of September. Maybe we could add another race on the back end of it. And you can still go to Nashville in the at the end of September, two, three weeks later. The weather's beautiful. So maybe you fix it on that end. Um, I don't know what, you know, you're dealing with street races in St. Pete and in Long Beach. And anytime that you're talking about shutting down city streets, and in the case of St. Pete, you're shutting down a portion of an airport um, as well. Maybe those dates weren't as flexible, but it would have been nice to at least have some foresight to try and close that gap. Oh, definitely. And, you know, as part of my weekly Canadian spiel, they could have contemplated coming up here or staying up here or just doing something else in Canada because we have streets, we have cities, we have courses, and we are an untapped audience, I feel, in IndyCar. Totally not I saw, selfish reasons. I saw a rumor that maybe Marshall Pruitt touched on that NASCAR had a tentative date lined up in the spring to go to Montreal and do Ooh. a road course race up there. And that that fell apart, and that's why they were scrambling to fill a hole in a, in in April, which for them might you know looks like it's going to turn into a race in, in Texas in the spring. So that could have been you know a part of it, um, another Canadian race kind of interfering with this. But you're absolutely right. I mean, Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve is sitting there unused until Formula One uses it. Um, I think that race is going to be in June again next year up there. Yes, uh, traditionally it is anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could be a venue that IndyCar could have at least kicked the tires on and explored. Uh, yeah. Not sure if they would do, you know, a second race in Toronto, um, but there's other venues that that they could certainly look at. Or they could, you know, try and do a street race in Vancouver, for example, you know, something on the West Coast up there. There's, Ooh, there's possibilities. Yeah. So Come to Vancouver, to just get IndyCar. Kind of left in this, yeah, just to, to be left in this lurch. I would really like to know how hard they tried to come up with a contingency plan. Yeah. Well, and especially the fact that we're not hearing any whispers or rumors of any of these other possible fixes. And at the end of the day, like there are always rumors, some of them credible, some of them are not. But if someone thinks a thought, other people will hear about it. So in my mind, because we're not hearing any whispers about anything, it really does feel like there was very little effort put into closing that gap 
which is just so unfortunate. So unfortunate. Because once you get in the momentum of watching a season and get invested, losing that, it's so bad. Especially because that's the time of year where other series are also getting going. And so for IndyCar to kind of drop the ball like that and to lose the attention of so many people that, you know, if if you have to choose between on a weekend watching Formula One or watching IndyCar, for example, you're invested in that Formula One championship in a different way by the time that, what is it, the end of April, the end of April rolls around. You're going to be, yeah. not you, Siri. Sorry, my Siri on my other device, I need to tell it to piss off. <laughs> I, I won't even say the thing that needs to be said and it'll turn on. I need to turn that feature off. Um, but anyway, by the time April 21st rolls around, if you're watching Formula One, you're going to be so invested, probably, unless it's, you know, another landslide for Max Verstappen, but you're going to be much more invested in a series that has had like five, six races than you're going to be one that has only had their single start of the season one. But that's that's an awesome point. And I mean, especially when you look at it, NASCAR is going to have, you know, there'll be, I don't even know, seven or eight races at least into their season because they'll start in the middle of February with the Daytona 500 and they don't really stop. They're pretty much every weekend, you know, with the exception of a very small few. So they'll be, you know, well over two months, three months into their season by the time that we have this second IndyCar race. Formula One, I think we'll have five races by the time that IndyCar has two. Um, mm -hmm. But the worst thing, you know, sports in America, you're supposed to be able to capitalize on that window that follows the Super Bowl in February and is before Major League Baseball starts. Because Major League Baseball oh. is the number two sport here. And while they don't do the monster ratings of, you know, seven or eight million people watching Monday Night Football, there's 162 baseball games for every single team. So there's a lot there's a lot of eyeballs collectively on the sport over the course of the season and they play 7 days a week. So by the time April 21st rolls around, even Major League Baseball is going to be about 3 weeks into their season. And that's just going to pull a lot of those casual sports fans that okay, football's over, what can I watch? Oh, there's an IndyCar race on. Let's watch that. Well, they're not going to capture those fans anymore because there's not going to be an IndyCar race on. And by the time that there is a second IndyCar race on that matters, you're going to be, you know, three weeks into Major League Baseball season. So that casual fan isn't going to say, I just want to watch something on a Sunday. They're going to say, oh, cool, baseball's back. I'm going to watch baseball. Thank God that baseball's back. I don't have to watch IndyCar anymore. That's that's the mindset of the American casual sports fan is they'll just kind of watch whatever's on a major network. And it's not going to be IndyCar even when they do come back because they're going to be on USA. Wonderful. Oy vey. Well, IndyCar, do better. Be better. So Aspire I just want to, to put more. this out there. <laughs> I just want to put this out there just so people can really understand what this means. So there's a two-month stretch between races on network television from July 14th to September 15th. There are two races this year on Peacock instead of just the one being Toronto last year. And both of those Peacock races are over 30 days apart. So that means that if you're a diehard IndyCar fan and you don't subscribe to Peacock, you're not going to have to add that subscription just for one month and just for one race. You're now gonna have to add it for two months and two races 
because both peacock races are over 30 days apart. And probably the worst thing of all is that in their return to Milwaukee, going back to a short oval that was a tremendous success, you know, from a fan standpoint, maybe not from an attendance standpoint or a commercial standpoint, but the fans loved it. It always produced great racing. First time going back to Milwaukee on August 31st, first time since 2015 that they're going to be back at that track. Not only is that race on Peacock, what we're talking about is potentially it's so late in the season that the championship could be could be decided on Peacock. And what's even worse is that's the first weekend of college football starting up in the U.S. So any sort of casual fan that might maybe tune in on Peacock, if they are watching television, they're not going to be watching IndyCar. They're going to be watching college football. They're going to be watching playoff races in Major League Baseball. And they're going to be watching preseason football that weekend. So very poor scheduling uh, on IndyCar's part to have that doubleheader weekend back in Milwaukee that very weekend. And an even bigger slap in the face from NBC putting that behind a paywall on Peacock. Just sadness all around. And I'm going to share my own personal sadness to like close this out. This year... We had Portland International Raceway and then Laguna Seca back-to-back, which if I had been smart, I would have also gone to Laguna Seca while I was in the States. I would have just trudged myself southward and have that be, you know, a good two weeks of travel. But Mm -hmm. now I can't do that next year because Laguna Seca is up in June and Portland is down at the end of August. So now I have to plan two separate trips if I want to do them instead of just like keeping myself down on the little south of my coast i that's tears for me will i make it work yes absolutely because whatever that's fine but it could be better than fine why this mediocrity i don't appreciate it on a personal level when you're coming into a season and you're introducing a brand new engine package and you finally have a talking point that might attract a Formula One fan who might appreciate the technical side of it a little bit more than your typical IndyCar fan might. You have that talking point. You're coming off a momentous season where you finally saw an uptick in viewership. You're coming into a season where your television and your media rights contract is expiring. And there's no doubt in my mind, there's going to be a drop-off in viewership. And you, you can just point to two races versus one being on Peacock as the reason for that or or thir- 11 races versus 13 races being on network TV as the reason for that. There's going to be a dip in the millions in viewers, and that's solely a function of the networks that NBC has chosen to put these races on. So not necessarily IndyCar's fault, but it's something that they need to consider when they're um, when they're considering you know their next media rights partner is maybe it's not all about the dollars and the cents. It should be about making sure that you don't get jerked around and potentially have your championship deciding race up against college football and hidden behind the paywall. Dun, dun, dun. That was sad and depressing. So that's what we got to live with. <laughs> that's what we're, I mean, that's, that's what we got. You know, I mean, I'll watch every single race. I know that, you know, the maybe a couple hundred thousand people that consider themselves diehard IndyCar fans, they'll watch every single race and the sport won't grow. It'll probably retract. And then we'll see what sort of media rights deal we get heading into 2025. But all that being said, it's interesting and it's necessary to talk about who's making these decisions. Everybody can talk trash about IndyCar and say that the schedule is not great, or they can say IndyCar did a good job with, you know, what they were given, but who's making these decisions. And that would of course be 
the owners of IndyCar or the owner of IndyCar and IndyCar's ownership structure is unique really in all of sport. So I definitely wanted to, you know, touch on that, maybe not necessarily briefly, but get into that and explain that for our listeners who really probably haven't seen an ownership structure the way that IndyCar has it. Um, and basically it's, it's Roger Penske. Roger Penske owns all of IndyCar. He runs a team in IndyCar. Um, he owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So everything runs through Roger and it's, <laughs> it's unique. He sees it. He likes it. He wants it. He got it. That's it. And I mean, he, he does what he wants and, uh, and good for him. I think he's a great steward for the sport. Um, but when these decisions are being made, they're ultimately being made by one person. And, you know, we'll get into the whole backstory about how this came to be and a little history, um, like we said, but there, all, all these decisions do kind of run through Roger at this point. And it would almost be akin to somebody like Lawrence Stroll, who's a billionaire on the Formula One side, saying, you know what, I, it's not just enough for me to own a team. I want to own the whole series. And oh, by the way, I also want a historical track thrown in there too. So I'm just going to purchase Silverstone for myself as well. And I'm just going to own all of it. If you have the money. See, these are the kind of problems that I kind of wonder if what goes on in billionaires' heads of like, what can I buy with all of these dollars? What can I do? Because, you know, more money, more problems. But at the same time, it's like, right. Some people have enough money that these are the things they can contemplate. What ridiculous thing am I good to buy? What would you buy, Justin? What track would you buy? What team would you buy? Good question. I mean, I think it'd be pretty cool to own like McLaren. I think McLaren, mm -hmm. McLaren as a whole, that, that would be the move. That would absolutely be the team because then you're not only getting, you know, the IndyCar side of things, and a very strong IndyCar lineup with them. You're getting the Formula One side of things. You're getting the road car side of things. You're getting the sports car side of things. So if I just had unlimited money and I just said, you know what, buy a team, buy a brand, it would be McLaren. And as far as a track, if there was a way to buy Spa and just make that, you know, my personal little playground, um, <laughs> it would have to be Spa. You know, I know this is an IndyCar podcast, but I mean, come on, it's Spa, you know. But Roger, yeah. owning, owning Indianapolis Motor Speedway for Roger Penske, like that's a match made in heaven. So of course it makes sense for him. It's true. It's very, very true. Because he's also just a legend in the sport in and of itself as well. Yeah, he's he's done everything yes. that you can do in motor racing outside of the car. Uh, he's, he's run teams in Formula One before in the 80s. Um, I mean, this is a guy who has run an IndyCar team, it seems like, forever. He runs a very successful NASCAR team. Uh, he runs a team uh, in a partnership with Porsche in the IMSA WeatherTech Series here in North America in endurance and in the World Endurance Championship over in Europe. Um, they're very competitive there. He also runs an Australian supercars. So he's he has his hand in, in, in so many different things, and now he owns all of IndyCar as of 2018. Uh, so he, he definitely understands what it takes to be successful in motorsport, but he's never owned a series before. But yeah, 
it is good it's, that he understands that there there is no Penske IndyCar team unless you have a series to race in. And I think he understands that Penske on the IndyCar side is the most successful from a winning standpoint across all of his brands across motorsport. So, and and also I, I think he's passionate about IndyCar and he's passionate about, passionate about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And maybe if he didn't step up, then no one steps up. Uh, and maybe we don't have, you know, IndyCar or maybe a group like Liberty Media or a, a big corporate conglomerate steps up and purchases IMS and then it loses its charm and it's not the same as it's been, you know, for the last hundred some odd years. So I'm glad that Roger Penske purchased it. I do hope that for somebody who's 86, he has the foresight to kind of look ahead and really look at the 10 to 20 year picture and not just the five to 10 year picture. True. I'd also love to do a deep dive into the people that he's surrounded himself with because yes, he's an expert at running a team and at that sports side of it, but there's also the economic, the media, the there's all of these other facets to a series that's going to make it popular. And you have to wonder, has he, what other experts has he surrounded himself with that could possibly be helping him make these big decisions like the schedule, like merch, like the broadcast? There are, there are so many bits and pieces that I do feel like IndyCar is lacking in. And then you do have to wonder if it's just that they're not thinking about them at all, in which case they should be. Or if they just have such an abysmal plan that no wonder it's not doing as well as it possibly could. Exactly. And hopefully these are things that are going on behind the scenes. Um, but IndyCar has just been, I mean, it's survived as a mom and pop operation since the mid 40s. And it's it's really been one family. It's been the Holman family that they owned Indianapolis Motor Speedway up until Roger bought it in 2018, same family. Um, they were a family that owned and operated Holman and Company that was basically a holding company that, that owned different businesses. And the biggest business that they ran at the time was a baking powder company based out of Indianapolis called Clabber Girl. Um, <laughs> Tony, Tony Holman bought the Speedway following World War II because he thought that it would be a good way to push the Clabber Girl baking powder brand uh, around Indianapolis and really, you know, help blow that brand up following World War II. And he actually bought it from a World War I pilot who was named Eddie Rickenbacker. So the Speedway itself has never been owned by, you know, a big corporate entity. Uh, Penske is probably, Penske uh, Entertainment is, is what owns it now, but if you take Roger Penske himself out of the equation, Penske is a tremendous corporation, of course. So this is probably the most corporate era that we've seen at the Speedway. But that's kind of how it all came together. It was very mom and pop. Um, and this was a deal that came together. You know, we're not talking the billions of dollars that you see sports franchises and I mean, sports leagues, and like for what Formula One is worth now. Um, it's just, it's, it's well north of, I would have to imagine, you know, eight to $10 billion easily. Um, the sale of IMS and IndyCar was rumored to be in the 250 million to $300 million range. So Roger Penske being a billionaire, that really isn't that much for him uh, to Quite save affordable. the racetrack. 
Yeah, I mean, it's affordable. It makes sure that, that, that he's in control, that somebody who understands it is in control. Um, and now he, now he really owns it all. And a lot of people, they might think, you know, maybe is that a conflict of interest that he owns the track, the series, the team, he owns all of it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how hands-on he is. Owning something doesn't necessarily mean you're an active participant in it. That's true. And then it comes back to your question of who's he surrounding himself with. And we know we know Doug Bowles, who's been the president of, of IMS for, you know, in, in recent memory, does a great job. We know Mark Miles, who's the president of IndyCar and runs the series, you know, really from a sporting side um, and also a media side, too. You know, Mark Miles, I'm sure, is very much involved in television negotiations, obviously, in the creation of the schedule, all of it. Uh, and then we know Tim Sindrick who handles all things Penske from the racing side. Um, he's, I think his title is also president, but he deals solely with the IndyCar team, the NASCAR team, etc. cetera. Uh, he's involved on that side of it. So he has, you know, those three or four key people. But when you see him going out and making a deal to bring in a company like Endeavor to help consult on a media rights deal that we're coming up to next year, I think that that's a good move. I think it's good foresight from Roger to recognize, okay, we, we really can't do this ourselves. We need to bring in Endeavor to help us out with television negotiations. But then who who's running the marketing side? You know, who's who's seeing up social media and YouTube content? Uh, you know, who is in charge of pushing um, 100 Days to Indy across the finish line and getting that as a docu-series aired on CW Network? You know, what are we doing with these other channels, because like we've talked about, it's not just, you don't just consume sports and any sort of media one way anymore. You have to have all those channels. Well, and the, the part that baffles me when you're, we're talking about new media, especially is I'll go on TikTok and I'll see these really good pieces of content that are being put out that I would consider to be similar quality. And it's being put out by the teams to be clear. So, you know, we'll compare mm-hmm. the McLaren teams the McLaren Indy team and the McLaren Formula One team, I'd say that their social media is pretty on par. They got the funniness, they know how to capture their drivers' personalities and showcase it really well. But when you look at the viewership comparison, so different. You're looking at, you know, within the first hour, hundreds of thousands of views versus a couple thousand views. It's Mm -hmm. not... Great. And yes, IndyCar is limited to North America. But even if you look at it from that ratio, you have some sports teams that are only in North America that do numbers similar to what Formula One does. So that can't be the excuse forever that, oh, well, our numbers are lower because we're only in North America. No, it's entirely possible that you could entice enough people to watch the sport that you captivate a much larger audience than you have and leaving it entirely up to the teams yes that is a decision but then you're also going to get it being really uneven over who fans feel like they can watch who fans feel like they can connect with so it's the social media side of it they're they're putting in such a good effort but for whatever reason it's not being pulled over the finish line it's not fully captivating all of the audience that it possibly could Exactly. And in the U.S., I think that F1 has a tremendous television deal. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think that they, they probably could have actually sold the rights during this latest round of renegotiation with ESPN um, and ABC and the Disney group. They could have, you know, really, I think, gotten a lot more money for their rights. Um, ESPN is still airing the races commercial free, uh, which is tremendous. You just don't that doesn't happen in American sports. Um, Mercedes came in and cut a big check uh, similar to what Mueller's mother's polish cut, you know, over the years. Um, since we've had this ESPN deal for F1 and that makes sure that, you know, these races are aired in their entirety uninterrupted, um, which is tremendous. And I would venture to guess that formula one maybe could have gotten more money from another outlet, but doing commercial free races probably wasn't going to be something that, that would ever be in the package. Uh, even if Mercedes is, you know, the presenting sponsor of, of the races being commercial free, you can still make way more money if you're selling those those time slots individually. So that could have been something that Formula One said, hey, we're going to stick with our partner. They've been good to us. They give us races when it makes sense on network TV. Um, they give us uh, races, you know, on ESPN and ESPN2, which as far as cable networks go are are some of the biggest that you can get. Uh, and they also give us great periphery content on ESPN plus with, uh, you know, airing some of the sky, um, magazine style shows like welcome to the weekend. And then of course, uh, all the practice sessions, qualifying sessions, uh, all of that as well. So ESPN is a tremendous partner for formula one and hopefully IndyCar gets a partner that is similar, but it's also important to remember that formula one's not necessarily as important as, uh, as big in the U.S. Um, because of their TV deal. They're big in the U.S. because they they landed a Netflix series that they paid for and produced themselves. And it's going to take IndyCar attacking this from all angles, the streaming, the interaction on social media, the free content you know, online available on YouTube on demand, um, and a good television partner as well to really capture an audience and, and hopefully continue to grow it. But, you know, with this new TV deal, or not this TV deal, but with the schedule next year, we'll see. My big hope for the new broadcast deal is that they just find a way to have a database. I don't even know what to call it at this point, but F1 TV, for example, having all of the old races available to rewatch, mm-hmm. that's, that's game changing for bringing in new fans because they don't have to just depend on week to week races. They can go back and watch the previous season and fall in love with the driver and his journey. And that's not available in the same way for IndyCar. Yes, you can go to YouTube and yes, you can find a lot of the old races, but they're not easy to navigate. They're not easy to find. You can't just click playlist for a year and get all the races. Like it, it is a little befuddling and confusing. And part of that's down to YouTube not being, it's not an optimal search engine in the same way that it could be if you entirely control your archive platform. That's really what I want IndyCar to have. I want them to have that archive platform. I want them to have all of those extra bonus tech talk shows because they do tech talk videos and YouTube clips. Just expand Mm -hmm. it and make it a full show. I just want them to bulk it up more and invest more in making all of this accessible. Every other major, I guess save for NASCAR, but every other major, you know, sporting entity around the world has some sort of over-the-top package that somebody can purchase. Um, The NFL has Sunday ticket that they partner with different distributors on, but the NFL runs it. 
Um, the NHL has NHL TV, which ironically they sold to ESPN, um, but it's still the same service. Uh, it's, you know, with archive games and, and shoulder content and everything. Uh, MLB has MLB TV that does have the archive feature and you can go watch any game from any time. Um, so it's, it's really time for IndyCar to, to really adopt that. And hopefully, hopefully Roger Penske is, you know, like we said, not just thinking of the next five to 10 years. Um, he's thinking of the next 10 to 20 years, but he's also thinking of the rich IndyCar that the rich history that IndyCar enjoys. And he's thinking of, you know, the hundred plus years that have led us to this point as well. The moral of the story is IndyCar. If you make this service, I will give you money. Get it together. Figure it out. Get it together. Let me give you more you gotta money. Figure it out. You got to figure it out. <laughs> having, having races five weeks apart and then sticking one on USA Network is not figuring out. So uh, like, someone's some like, someone's got to be driving the bus here. You know, someone's got to put their foot down. IndyCar can't be the little you know redheaded stepchild of uh, of the sports world anymore. <laughs> it's it's time for IndyCar to get theirs. Step up, do more, be more, dream the dream. Yes. Uh, wow. Good stuff. Well, until next time, we're going to go dream the dream. I'm going to go to bed again. I'm going to put the schedule on my wall and just throw darts at it, I think, for the next week until we're back here. We've complained. We've cried. Figuratively, not Yeah, this, was, this one was pretty upsetting, actually. It's uh, definitely a different You're tone. Definitely a different tone. Join us again next week because we'll talk more indie. Looking ahead, looking to the past, and answering ever-burning questions. Gravel Trap Indie is a production of Gravel Trap Media. Our theme music is by The Pilfers out of New York City. Check them out on Spotify. To connect with us, head on over to graveltrapsocialclub.com where you'll learn about our online esports leagues, our Discord server for socializing with other motorsport fans and podcast listeners, and our Formula One podcast, Gravel Trap F1.